Hello and welcome to the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. This show is all about helping lawn care and landscaping professionals take your business to the next level. Paul is the author of four best-selling books, including Cut That Grass and Make That Cash, and his brand new book, The Lawn Care Advantage, Winning Strategies for a Thriving Landscaping Business, available on Audible and narrated by Mr. Producer. Now, here's your host. Paul Jamison. I hope you are doing well and business is booming. If you're listening in real time, we got Q4 right around the corner, which is an awesome time to earn a bunch of money. Uh, so much work to be done, money to be made. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to do something uh, we haven't done in a while. And I get requests, hey, do do like some Joe Rogan style podcasts. You know, his are like three hours long and, and it gets so good when you guys get deep in those conversations and things of that nature. And that's the desire of my heart. But I'm also realistic about my health. And we do this show daily, Monday through Friday. We have a daily show. And I know Dave Ramsey and the team over there in Nashville, they're, you know, they live stream three hours every day, uh, but they also have 1,100 employees. And so Mr. Producer and I, um, in order to do a daily show at a very high level, excellence in broadcasting, what I commit to is about a 30-minute episode every single day because I feel like that's manageable and what's the most important priority to me in my life right now, well, several of them, but one of the top tier ones is my health. And so in order to have you know longevity and do this consistently, I can commit to about a 30-minute episode a day. Well, with that being said, I had this incredible opportunity uh, while I was in Nashville, speaking of Nashville, to interview uh, the lawn care millionaire. That's his nickname, Jonathan Potoshnik. He has a lawn care business in Dallas. I believe they have 11,000 customers at City Turf. And uh, he started that business back in the day. He's grown it to where it all manages itself. Yes, the right people on the right spots on the bus. And he doesn't really do anything except, you know, <laughs> collect the check and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he's got the thing completely working without him being in the business, the Michael Gerber Emith uh, principle. But in addition to that, his side hustle, uh, he started a software called Service Autopilot. He built that up and sold it for a ridiculous amount of money. And so I've always wanted to interview two people on this podcast. And thanks to Naylor Taliaferro, I've interviewed both of those guys. The, the one uh, was back in October of 2020. Uh, that was Greg Chisholm, Geek to Freak. Uh, so much fun. I got to go to his house and interview, interview him in person. And for years, I wanted to interview Jonathan Potoshnik. And maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe it just wasn't uh, God's proper timing. But it was in Nashville. And I got to sit down and talk to Jonathan for about an hour. Well, we've been playing those clips on uh, my Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, TikToks, Facebook Reels. Um, we've been playing... Um, some shortened episodes of those on the Green Industry Podcast. But we've had so much feedback that, that this episode uh, was truly educational, motivational, inspirational. Uh, one of those ones where you just got to kind of go back and listen to it again. And so what we're going to do today is just play the whole raw, unedited conversation. Uh, so you can just sit back and enjoy the wisdom of a man who has built the most successful lawn care business that I know of uh, personally that I've met, um, as well as his success in building a, you know, a secondary business that that sold for an absolute ridiculous amount of money. So Jonathan, as you're going to hear, is extremely successful. And I'm deeply honored 
Um, the amount of respect I have for him, I, I can't put into words. He is a incredible entrepreneur, small business owner. And without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the lawn care millionaire, soon to be billionaire, Jonathan Potoshnik. Yo, we finally have the lawn care millionaire, Jonathan Potoshnik. Might have to change that to uh, lawn care billionaire, the way things are going. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know the lawn care millionaire, he uh, is from City Turf. He started Service Autopilot. It was successfully acquired uh, back in 2019. August of 19. August of yep. 19. Naylor was telling me you're on a two-year sabbatical, and the entrepreneur in you is ready to get get back into the game, man. That's why I'm here. I'm getting bored. <laughs> so I heard you on the Boardroom Part podcast. Oh yeah, that yeah. was excellent. Oh good, thank you. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like go, like those guys. I want to go sharp. back to your story, Jonathan. When you had City Turf going on. Service Autopilot was an inception. You were doing a couple other things with medical software. Mm -hmm. uh, walk us back to that stage of your life when you had so much going on. Okay, so this would be the 2000s. I was a partner in a cleaning company. We clean movie theaters. I was doing tech consulting because my first software business, uh, who was my, the same business partner in Service Autopilot, our first business in our early 20s, we didn't make it. it was, we were working on a really challenging problem and uh, a little too challenging for us with the amount of money we had. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing computer consulting because I didn't want to get a job. And so like programming, that kind of thing. And so I was doing that. I ended up becoming a partner in the cleaning company because I was working with them on some technology stuff. And they're like, hey, do you want to be our partner? And then I ended up in the lawn care business, which became City Turf. And then I, that one of, another one of my consulting clients uh, was starting a company in the healthcare space and they wanted me to come in and build the technology and get all their initial clients. Mm -hmm. So I ultimately had four things going and towards it, the end. I of just 2000s. met your son, Riley. Yeah. And Riley. He looks like he's young 20s. He's 21. So at what point did you get married in all of this? Oh, I got married at 21. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd been married a while. So. And, and at what point was the entrepreneurship journey when you met your wife? Um, well, I started mowing yards when I was 14. So she knew me as... Uh, the kid in high school that made money and worked his butt off and didn't show up to school a lot because he was working. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So I met many, her when I was 17. And then how many years have you guys been married? 25. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I was laughing so hard listening to your podcast. Hey, N Hey, Naylor. Rookie. Sorry, we're, yeah, try, we're right. trying to fill, right. we're trying to fill a podcast here. We got no we got Jason's rear end there. But you're talking about uh, doing the dishes, and your wife oh, yeah. expects you to clean them afterwards. That's uh -huh. how I am. That's you're talking about going and hanging out for 20 minutes. I was like that. <laughs> yep, that, you really did hear the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. I listen to that my life to this day. But my, what I'm what I'm insinuating, I want you to talk about is how okay. do you have a 25 year marriage when you're working to 3 a.m. and you're you're obsessed with business? Mm. Well. Um, I think Tiffany and I had a number of interests that were the same. We were aligned on how we wanted to raise our kids and we were aligned on um, we wanted a strong relationship and just a number of things. She was supportive of the business. Um, she, there was an element of trust. I looked maybe as naive on her part because we were so young, but yeah. there was this element of trust where she didn't question a lot of what I was doing. She sort of let me run that side of our lives and I let her run the kid side of our lives, which both of those things mattered to us. And so I think the dividing up and conquering was valuable for us. Mm -hmm. um, but I give her a ton of credit because early in our marriage, 
we I don't remember how the conversation went down, but we wanted to have dinners as a family. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go on date nights. I mean, this goes back to my 20s. Oh, wow. And we had said, these are the things we want to do. And my wife's a very processed person, structured mm-hmm. person. You, I guess yeah. you heard that on the podcast. And um, whenever I would say, hey, I really need to work tonight. It's Friday night. Tiffany would be like, no, no, we were going to do date day nights. Remember that? It's yeah. like, or whenever it's like, hey, I'm going to be, I, I felt guilty if I'd be home late for dinner. So mm-hmm. she really kept me accountable. And so I look back. The reason I'm telling this story is I look back and I think, man, um, I could have really slipped up and just let more and more and more work creep into my life and messed up other parts of my life, my mm-hmm. family and kids, which are incredibly important to me. I, a well-lived life is all of the stuff, not just the business and the money. And so she really helped hold me accountable. And I'm really thankful for that. And so I think protecting the time to go have date nights, eventually when we could afford it to do some traveling, even if it was short trips to have dinner with our boys and as a family every night, if I wasn't out of town, just those things were really, really important. And I'll give another one to her. She's a better talker than I am. I'm a really great talker in the business. Like I can come talk to you all day long, but, um, Tiffany's really good as like, okay, we need to have this conversation about this thing. Whereas I could just like, you know, gloss over that stuff and go back to work. And so that was probably pretty, I'll give her credit there too. That's probably pretty good where we had conversations if there could be challenges in our marriage. And I think that's valuable. What was her input as you're building these businesses and making decisions along the way? Did did she ever get a sense or a feeling and say, hey, you shouldn't do that or you should do this? Or does she have any um, influence in your decisions as a as a business leader? Um, I'm sure she did. I don't think it's going to be quite what you're asking. But one of the things I noticed, this is where we just had this unique, she worked as an entrepreneur's wife. And what I mean, it's like a really challenging, I, any spouse that goes down the road with an entrepreneur, I mean, they've signed up for something quite challenging and it doesn't always work out. So it's tough, (laughs) you know, and, and for them. And so for whatever reason, she just didn't seem to be too terribly uptight about will it work out. And so and I'm sure she was a little worried at times. But where I'm going with this is we what I noticed is it wasn't so much that I'd have a conversation, say, hey, do you think I should do this? It was more sometimes when I didn't tell her about some kind of an idea, like I didn't want to really tell anybody about it. After the fact, when that idea didn't work, I was like, oh, maybe that's why I didn't want to tell anybody about it or didn't want to tell Tiffany about it. I didn't want anybody to beat down my idea. I didn't want anybody to challenge my idea. Yeah. And so um, it's not what you're asking, but I've noticed over the years, there's been a few things I haven't, not that I've shared everything I'm doing, because you know, it's probably good that we didn't talk about business all the time. I, I actually think that was great. But I, I have had this experience where I've thought these things that were kind of big decisions that I didn't tell Tiffany about, there was a clue there that maybe I didn't want to defend them because I wasn't 100% certain they'd really work out. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, 100%. Okay. And, um, and then uh, the other thing that was kind of challenging for us at times, and she handled it great, but we were building these businesses and I never raised capital. I never even had line of credit Mm -hmm. for any of my businesses. And so you're just putting everything back in. You're living as inexpensive as you possibly can, trying to afford the next person in your company that is gonna make your life a little bit better. Like that's the never ending game for quite some time. And so we, we, we've always had friends that are older than us. A lot of our friends are historically have been maybe 10 years older than us. Yeah. So 
and they have jobs and good jobs. So they're buying BMWs and bigger houses and, uh, you know, the Yukon or whatever the car, you know, the SUV back in the day. And I remember that being a little bit of a thing where it's like Tiffany really wanted, like, could I get the nicer SUV for the boys? That kind of a thing. And I remember some of those things being they felt stressful to me, like because I saw this vision of what we were where we were going and we needed to keep investing. And she was ready for a little bit more feeling of success and some stuff. And I was pushing that off. And so that was one of the challenging things. I mean, we navigated it fine, but I remember feeling pressure around it. And I remember her feeling frustration around it. Very well said. I want to hear the story of service autopilot. If, if you look at the, the biography of, of Jonathan, you know, and it's a previous chapter of just pure success. At what point did you see that pain point of you know, the administrative part of a a business and, and how did you actually start that company then, you know, get it successfully acquired? Yeah. So I saw it initially, there was, I was a partner in this cleaning company I alluded to all commercial, Mm -hmm. big deals. And, uh, we, I was trying to find some software for that and it just, I, it was hard. And I looked at a product called NetSuite that was really expensive at the time. And this yeah. and they're way more expensive today. Yeah. And, Oracle. Uh, now it's owned by Oracle. Yeah. yeah. Oracle was one of the big, Larry Ellison was one of the big early investors. And then I think if yes, I remember sir. Oracle acquired it. So anyway, I had that experience through the cleaning company trying to find something NetSuite to stand out. I was like, man, this is a lot of money. How does a small company, smaller company afford this? And then the real breakthrough though was with CityTurf. So when I started CityTurf, I had this, I actually started CityTurf as commercial and switched it to residential. And I had made up this number, I want a thousand clients. Well, then you start thinking about how do I bill a thousand clients? How do I handle the phone calls? How do you use or manage all the moving parts of a thousand client business? And, and today it's 11,000 client business. And, and I wasn't there yet, but I could see where we were going. And so I was looking around in the marketplace and I couldn't find anything. And so I knew how to program. So I started building my own little application to run city turf and then the cleaning business mm-hmm. and, um, kind of muddled through and we had estimating and some basic to task management and such. And that's where I got the idea for Service Autopilot. Uh, wow. You know, John and I had been trying to get back to, John's was my business partner in Service Autopilot. Okay. We'd been trying to get back together to work on software. That's what we both wanted to do. And he had stayed in that space, but working for people. Yeah. And so this was the, the pain I was feeling around, how am I going to build bigger businesses with lots of moving parts and lots of clients is where the idea came from. Because I looked in the, you know, the first company I looked at back then that I was really interested in was Real Green. Yeah. Real Green was really fertilization. We control. Of course. They did some cool stuff on marketing. That's one of the things I liked about this. Like, oh, these guys are a little bit, they think about direct mail and marketing, you know, no other software in the green space was doing that. Mm -hmm. But there was a, there were, they just felt like the older desktop technology and there's a number of things I didn't like. And that's, if I had gone with real green, I may never have started a software company, but they just didn't quite tick the boxes. And I thought they were the the best at the time. And so um, that's where the idea came from. And John, I was able to get John excited about it. We're like, yeah, let's do this thing. And what year did you guys launch service autopilot then? I think of January of 10 as being the official date. I remember we put up a server in November of 09. We didn't have any clients, but we put up a server. In fact, actually, we did get a client. We just put up a website, but we didn't have anything to sell yet. And a pest control company in Houston signed up for it one night. And I remember I contacted John. We were, I, I, maybe this isn't quite how it went, but my recollection is we both 
get on the phone. It's like, hey, did you set up a test account last night in the software? And we're like, yeah, it was neither one of us, and it was some company that signed up. We weren't ready for them. But that oh, was, wow. That, that was November of 09. <laughs> wow, <laughs> they signed your up. first customer. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, they, they actually, we didn't have anything for them immediately, if I remember correctly, and they stayed with us for years, uh, eventually moved on. I don't know what happened to them. And so January of 10 is when I really remember we were serious about this thing, and it became our full-time, all-in effort. And simultaneously to that, you're still the owner of City Turf. Yeah. So you oh, just yeah. had management running all that to where you could give your time to this new endeavor? In, in 10, I was still... so. The whole time of City Turf up until that point, I was the leader of that business. I was the sales estimating guy. It was, it was a lot, you know, a lot going on. Wow. And because also during that time, I, I was doing other software stuff. And so it was a lot. Um, I had this really awesome guy. I didn't know how awesome he was just yet, but I knew this guy has some serious potential. I really liked him. And he is the president of the company today. Okay. And um, so I started, as I remember it, this has been a while, so you never know what's like revisionist history. But as I remember it, in 2010, I was really being forced to just let him run stuff yeah. and make the decisions. And by 2012, I was almost completely uninvolved in the business. Wow. But in 2010 and 11, because I was so busy, um, I was fairly uninvolved, but I started Service Autopilot in an office next door to City Turf. So I could still kind of go over there and talk to him. He could come over and talk to me. And uh, so I was close to the business, but I wasn't running it for those two years. And then at what point did you start the Lawn Care Millionaire? And was that just a um, marketing effort to, to, to funnel um, customers into Service Autopilot? Because a lot of folks, you guys know who he is from standing in front of a whiteboard talking yeah. about getting your credit card on file and all the yeah, yeah. gems you were putting out. How did how did that come into the equation? Yeah, so Lawn Care Millionaire started it before Service Autopilot trying to figure out how to sell Service Autopilot. Okay. Um, so Lawn Care Millionaire was one of the great lessons of my business career. Um, you know, I, I, I've had this conversation maybe with Naylor yesterday or somebody even today at breakfast one Care Millionaire is a tiny little chan a channel. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in years, but call it, I'll bet there's maybe 5 million views. I don't know. I'd have to go look. Tiny little nothing of a channel. I was telling Naylor, if that thing didn't make me, and I am not exaggerating, $10 million, I, I would be blown away. And it was that critical. And so the way that came to be was I put out this site called Lawn Care Millionaire and, and the subtitle was Ideas to Make You a Lawn Care Millionaire. Everybody calls me the Lawn Care Millionaire. The idea was I want to make you a I Lawn Care Millionaire. I called you the Lawn Care Billionaire. Yeah, well, I appreciate I that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, my, my thing was I want to make you the Lawn Care Millionaire. Right. What do you need to know? I'll answer it. And what I was trying to accomplish was I wanted to understand what your pain points were, what your challenges were so that I could figure out how to word my sales videos and sales letters and marketing to sell service autopilot. And what ended up happening was, I mean, this is 2010, I, this happened all the time. I was the sales guy. Um, I was the everything except the coder back then. And uh, somebody would call me up, call service autopilot up, and they'd been watching Lawn Care Millionaire videos. We'd talk for 55 minutes about your business, and for five minutes we'd talk about software, and then you'd buy the software. Wow. And it's like, wow, like this is building trust and authority, and people are just saying, hey, if you know what you're talking about and you help me with your business, you probably understand what I need in software, and they'd just buy. They didn't ask any of the right questions, didn't go through the right process, and it was like a wow, light bulb moment. And then um, the other thing was it just started bringing in so many clients. And, uh, and so I, if I could go do it all over again, I would go so much bigger with that. But the problem was back then, 
it was like we didn't have a line of credit and developers are very expensive and we we didn't hire developers outside the United States. They all worked in our office. And so every dollar we made and every minute we had went into that business. And so I was off doing all kinds of other things and didn't spend enough time on that. I would, it was so valuable. I would do it different now. Yeah, totally. So as that's growing, service autopilot is exploding. I know, I know Payjack, Naylor, so many people are using service autopilot. At what point did that light bulb go off that somebody could purchase this for a boatload of money? Uh, when I was two years old, I got offered 20 million for it. Wow. And but when you started it, you weren't thinking, I'm going to build this and sell this. You just started it because just want to build a business and yeah. make money. I, um, even when we sold service autopilot, I did not want to sell. I was not ready to sell the business. We weren't talking about selling it. It was just uh, a couple of things you might've heard real green transacted. Yep. And I was like, for desktop software, they got that number. That was that because like, they had started in 19, they had started building a online version, but it wasn't really what anybody was using. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not putting them down. I, I, Joe and those guys, I mean, Joe did a masterful job over there at that business. So I, I don't mean any negative, but it's like, wow, for desktop software, because we are in a SaaS world now. They got yeah. that number. And, um, and that's what made me go look at the market. So answering your question, from the early days, I knew it was a possibility like any business you build, but it was never my goal. I just wanted to build a really good business that would take really good care of me financially. And we were approached very early on um, when we were a little business. Uh, we were doing a million seven, I remember, when we got, so two years in or something like that. And uh, we got that offer. And it was a very formal contract. 20 million, 20 two million. years in. Yeah, and maybe it's two and a half. And, um, and your and wife very, wants the upgraded lifestyle. Yeah. Did you even tell her? Did you? I did. And uh, interesting, she's like, you know, if you think we should keep going, good. Uh, John and Lori had a, my business partner, John and his wife, Lori, had a little bit more of a conversation about it mm -hmm. than Tiffany and I had. But um, it was uh, for all of us like, hey, no, this is what we want to do. We see the potential here. Thank goodness. Oh, when man. we sold SA or part of it, I'm still on the cap table in the explore business. But right. cap table simply means I'm still one of the owners that in the business. Yeah. Um, when uh, when we sold that business, Verizon, that was the rough Verizon, as you know, Verizon, they were in the process. Yeah. That's uh, without getting in all the details. That's kind of who was back years earlier uh, under a different name, but it's Verizon. Um, I'm, I'm leaving out some gaps, but they those guys on that call, when they were looking at us in the deal, they specifically said, it's a sure a good thing you guys didn't sell to us. <laughs> and so um, anyway, that that gave us probably some amount of confidence. We definitely thought about it. It gave us confidence that we were working on the right thing. But it really wasn't as tempting as you might think. Like we really wanted to do SA. And even in 19, John and I really wanted to do SA. I remember when we were thinking about selling the business, um, we used to put on this annual event. Yo, SA4, yeah. SA5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that event is a beat down. And we, we never made money out. We weren't trying to make money. We were just trying to get our clients in town to hang out, you know. And, yeah, and you had and Mike McCallowitz. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A bunch speak. of people. I remember yeah, those, yeah. yeah. And so one of the things John specifically mentioned was, we're not going to be able to do the conference anymore. Like it was, so that was sort of how we sort of, it was hard even when we sold. It's like, these are our people. These are our friends now. Uh, we felt like we were making a difference. Uh, I was doing the academy thing, which was a coaching thing as well. I felt like I was having an impact. And so it, it never was actually an easy decision to sell the business, even when we did it. Yeah. In the Hebrew language, the word retirement doesn't even exist. I don't like the word retirement. Right. But it doesn't. They, the 
Uh, I don't know your religion or yeah, anything. Yeah, no, I'm familiar I'm, with what, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not Jewish, but I yeah. read Daniel, uh, Rabbi Lappin, he talks about okay. that there's certain words in the Jew, in the Hebrew language that don't even exist because they weren't, they weren't created, which is retired. They weren't a concept. So, yeah, they weren't yeah. a concept. So when Naylor told me, oh man, Naylor, what? <laughs> hey, Naylor, because we're sitting like this, can you get it on Jonathan's face? Like maybe put it right here or something? Thank you. So anyway, Naylor told me, Jonathan Potoshnik. Yeah, Potoshnik. So two years off of the sabbatical. I'm like, yeah. you're, you're, you're probably on the beach like doing cartwheels or like, I can't, I can't imagine you sitting uh sitting somewhere relaxing that just doesn't make sense so yeah how has that been two years to kind of analyze all of this and, and recalibrate yeah so it's not quite so it's um i gave up ceo role in sa in april of 21 so i'm when i i'll get back from we travel a lot and so when i'll yeah. get back from new zealand on march 3rd of next year and when i get back um that will be three years roughly since I gave up CEO role and two years since I stopped doing Academy. So what happened is I, I just, I gave up CEO role and I was just around for questions and essay if anybody higher up needed me or my team needed me. Mm -hmm. And then I did this Academy thing, which was not overly difficult. I'd just teach once a month and go on a trip here and there with the Academy guys, which I loved all those guys. So it was a gals. So it was, uh, you know, it didn't feel like that hard of work. Mm -hmm. So it, I, it's almost been frankly three years wow. come this March. So you went a hundred percent hard for a decade. Decade, for then, more than well in the essay yes yeah yeah and then for three years with completely different gear yes yeah and so to answer uh what i think you were asking is it was a it was a week my transition also happened during covid and so we were i was at home a lot and i'm a people person okay and i love my team at service autopilot and i'm just not really around them i'm on zoom i don't enjoy that that mm -hmm. much and so between that and now and I wasn't really even on the Zoom much because I, I was CEO role. So I was on and then I gave up CEO role. And so every once in a while I was on Zoom. So it was sort of me and Tiffany at home. I guess my boys were still home at the time. But it was like there wasn't a ton of there wasn't that work stuff I normally had. And so um, between that and then not really having a purpose where you're not moving the ball forward, you don't right. feel like you're progressing, you don't feel like you're solving a problem. It was a weird feeling where I was just off. Mm -hmm. I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't like you would say, oh, man, if you're on break, it's got to be insane. I didn't feel that way. I felt things were just off. OK. And um, and it took me a while to sort of get past that phase. I think I had to decompress. Okay. I'll give you an example. Tiffany makes fun of me for this. I, uh, my, the property I own is or where I, my house is four acres, rough, mainly in the trees. And so um, I sell the business and I'll just go out there with a Home Depot bucket and pick up rocks or like pick up tree branches or things like that. I just dumb stuff that, yeah. or trim the trees. Like I don't need to do any of these things, but I would just go do those things. And I think I just needed to decompress. Yeah. The selling process was intense. And, um, and so it took me a while to unwind. Then I sort of unwound and we've been doing a lot of traveling. I ride motorcycles, race cars, I do all these other things. And so I had plenty of things I was doing. And I got to a point where it's like, oh, I could do this. I could, I could keep doing this for a while. In fact, at times I thought maybe I could do this the rest of my life. I can find enough hobbies and things to do that maybe I don't work again. Never really believed that, but I like I could do it. And I think that was telling. I got to a place where I had decompressed. I had accepted my new world. And then I uh, got through that trough of mm -hmm. acceptance and happiness to uh, I'm ready to be back in the game. 
Yeah. And that's why and I'm here. I just showed up I for wouldn't this be thing. surprised if, I don't know if it's going to be your next chapter, the chapter after that, chapter after that, if, if you even trump service autopilot success. Like, it, it may when your journey as an entrepreneur yeah. is over, Jonathan, that that wasn't the greatest feat. It might, there might be something down the road where you, everything you learned from that as successful as it was, you, you have a new thing that you're just It might be. I don't know. Um, most likely it won't be about the money though. Um, it's like if you measure in money, I don't know if I'll do something bigger. Um, simply because I might though, I don't know where life's going. You know, I'm not, and I'm not trying to, it's really, so you, you have a big win. I've had a few wins, but really big win with service autopilot. You have a lot of friends that are very successful, maybe way more successful than you that, you know, have sold companies for $500 million, just big numbers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's this competitive element and I'm trying to be very careful of that where it's like, okay, are you getting back in the game just to keep a scorecard that, you know, as I say, doesn't even matter. Right. And so I fight that a little bit. So I think there's a chance I do something financially bigger, but I think it's more likely I do something that's more meaningful right. as an example where I know I'm going, but I don't know how fast I'm going down this road. I want to work with high school and college kids to become entrepreneurs. I don't want to, wow. I don't want to convince them to become entrepreneurs. I want the, the younger people that raise their hand and say, this is the life I want to the travel. I want to help them. I want to help those that sort of pop their head up, much like Riley, my son, you know, because I think those are the people that change the world. And so that may not be like you're selling to the absolute worst audience. They have no money. So that's right. not a good business, but it's something I really care about. So it could be that I don't do something financially bigger. It's that I do something that I feel is more impactful and more meaningful. And I would get a lot out of that. What is your key messaging to that young high school, college entrepreneur with a clean slate? What, what do you tell them? You Here's have the core to do principles. It. Oh, principles. Well, first I would tell them this is the, if you are attracted to this life, you have to do it. You have to go for it. Um, and you have to do the time. There's a, um, there's a, a general idea in the world that you should get your outcomes very fast. Take it cryptocurrency or whatever, you know, you heard all the stories of the guy that bought it a hundred and, you know, it ran up to 60,000 or whatever. You hear all these fast stories or you hear about the last few years of some young tech entrepreneur and they became a billionaire. Mm -hmm. And so there's this misunderstanding that your success should happen quickly. And it doesn't actually almost, it almost never happens that way. And so one of my core messages is, it, it's not a great sales message if you're trying to attract people to entrepreneurship, but this is going to be freaking hard mm -hmm. and you're going to be tired and exhausted and you're going to want to give up and you're going to wonder if it's worth it. And can I afford that employee? Should I hire more employees or should I keep it small? You're going to have all these questions. It's worth every minute of it. It is it's the thing. If you are even slightly interested, you have to do it and you have to go for it and you have to be willing to sacrifice the time to become the kind of person that deserves to own a bigger business and have success and have wealth and say goodbye to disorganized and inefficient business management upgrade to jobber the field service management software streamline every aspect of your business from 
quoting to invoicing. Impress your customers and increase your productivity. Start your journey to success with Jobber now at getjobber.com forward slash Paul. Again, that's getjobber.com forward slash Paul. Mr. Producer here bringing you some exciting news. The Equip Exposition is celebrating its 40th anniversary in Louisville, Kentucky, October 17th through the 20th. That is definitely the place to be. And if we got a special deal for you, use the code Paul for an incredible 50% off your tickets. Dive into the show notes, grab that link, and secure your spot. Are you tired of struggling to explain price increases to your clients? Look no further. The Green Industry Podcast has got you covered with our price increase letter template. Simply download, customize, and effectively communicate your price adjustments with ease. Visit greenindustrypodcast.com today and take control of your pricing strategy. It's very tempting to, on a day when you're tired, compromise and say, well, maybe I don't really want that. Maybe I don't really want that business. Maybe I don't really want to own my own business. Maybe I don't really want to be a millionaire someday. Maybe I don't want to live on that. In that and I'm making some of it about financial stuff. There's lots of other reasons to do this. Maybe I don't really care about having a bigger house or that car I dreamed of since I was 10. And that's a compromise. That is you compromising wow. because it's hard. And so you tell yourself a new story to, make, to let yourself off the hook. That is the worst thing you can do. You, you have to, if this is what you want, you have to get this thing no matter what. And so another conversation I have is it's a younger individual and they'll say, well, maybe I should go get a job for six years or eight years and save some money and learn some things and come back. Oh, that'd be great, but let's look at the data. You're probably never coming back because as soon as you get married and you have a kid or you don't get married or have a kid, but you go buy a bigger house and a cool car, you can't, you're like, that's the new standard of life and you're not willing to give up the money. Mm-hmm. And so you never build the thing. And so you never live the life. This is the best life you can live. I don't care if you are, I don't care if you keep your business small, you're, but it's a good business. You're in control. Like mm-hmm. I believe that happiness is hope and hope is that tomorrow could be better than today. Wow. And you get hope from being in charge. If you go to a job that you can go to a great job with great people, I'd like to think it serves all pilot. I provided that and, and people can do well inside a job, but a lot of jobs kind of suck and they really do. And whether it be the owner or now it's own, it's a public company or a big corporation, or it's a, you know, it's a financial buyer that owns it. They just, it all feels like it's just about making money. It doesn't feel like there's any other purpose. And that is the purpose of a business. But my point is you get trapped inside those organizations. They don't generally bring people a lot of satisfaction and happiness. And so you don't have the hope. And, but when you're in control of your thing, there's this hope that, hey, I could learn another skill, tomorrow could be better. I could eventually find that right person, tomorrow will be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, and that is what I believe leads to happiness. Also, I'm giving you a very long answer, but what also I believe happens is um, when you're in control, you have to learn all these skills and those skills give you confidence and confidence also leads to happiness. So confidence good. leads to hope, like I could, be in, I could fix a thing or be in control of it. To that young entrepreneur, Jonathan, what are some books you recommend, some, some <laughs> materials uh, to get, you know, influenced by, uh, like, you know, basically what I'm asking, like, what books should a young entrepreneur be listening to, the audiobooks or the paperback books, learning from? Um, that's a tough one. There's a lot of books. I'm trying to think of a book that is at that right place and time. I mean, I would, t- I would, uh, a diff- so I think one of the greatest books I ever read is a book called Influence. Okay. It's a psychology book by Robert Cialdini. 
And I would put that in my top list. That is um, maybe not a recommendation you'd expect, but one of the great skills you can learn and need to learn in business is how to attract clients to you mm-hmm. in business. And so um, learning your marketing skills is generally a place. So uh, I said in that podcast you were alluding to before that there's a lot of people that can do the work. There's a lot, whatever the work is, HVAC, power washing, plumbing, software development, a lot of people can do the work. There's not as many people that can go attract the clients and the employees and build the company. And so learning psychology, that's the influence book, learning marketing, really good and good learning how to sell. Those are the skills that give you the confidence that you can go build a thing. Yeah. And so the doing the work is not as, it's great, but it's not as impressive. Like performing the activity is, it's not, it doesn't get you quite as far as being able to go build the thing. And so I think about that, you know, and, you know, a lot of people just, two guys that I think are doing a great job out there. I reckon, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are already watching, but Alex Formosey is doing yeah. a phenomenal job. He's a, he, uh, a, uh, Russell Brunson, yes. ClickFunnels, that, those guys put out a lot of, those guys actually live it. Like, and they both came from the same world I did. They came from the same marketing world I came from. Like, when I listen to both those guys, like, it's like they're having the exact same conversation that I have in my head every day. We live in the exact same worlds. And so the reason I bring them up is I know there are so many people out there teaching that have never done it. Those guys have actually done it. They're worth listening to. So, um, Dan Kennedy, uh, Russell purchased all Dan Kennedy stuff. I don't know if you ever listened to him. Dan King is my single biggest influence that led me to everybody I know. Okay. I mean, in some way. And that's where Russell came from. And right. that, I was in the same world when he was there. Russell would speak on Dan's stage at times. So what, what I like about him, and this is a great lesson to a young entrepreneur, my perception of what he's done is Dan would teach something and Russell would say, oh, I trust Dan. I'm going to take it. I'm going to do it. And he would implement it. A lot of people say, oh, I really like you. Um, oh, thanks for that idea. They don't implement it or they're like, well, what if I do it this way? And they, and, and they change it all up and then they don't get the result. Russell is, and again, maybe a wrong perception here. Um, I've never met him, only his business partner, Todd. But um, I am under the impression that he would just say, whatever Dan's saying is gospel, and he'd go do it mm-hmm. and he lived it and he just like soaked up all that if you look at the way he writes today the way so many things he does they're they're straight out dan kennedy 20 years ago it's still the same stuff yeah and um, and alex is clearly influenced by dan in the group that came from dan and gary halbert and those guys back in the day and so um we went off on tangent but i would point people to those guys that are online because most people, in my opinion, haven't actually done it. And so you got to be a little careful following it. Those two have done it. And so they're worth listening to because they're legit. How you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, hanging around these guys selling businesses for $500 million and, and as, six, as successful as you've been, you're surrounded by guys who are even more successful. Mm-hmm. How did you pull that off of, of getting in those relationships uh, with people who are much further ahead than you? Um, events. You go to events and you show up in groups. I've been in multiple business groups. Um, you know, I had a coaching group. I didn't do that to make money. I did that because, I mean, I knew it makes some money, but I did it because I wanted to do it. And I believe that's the unlock. And I just believe it. I, I'm very sincere when I say most of what we did at SA was truly, mo- Service All Pilot, mm-hmm. was truly motivated by trying to help our member get the best possible outcome. We wanted to. Wow. And so that's where Academy came from. It's like, hey, this is another way to help them get to where they want to go. And, um, and I, I believed in that because I had been doing the same thing. I'd been in other groups. 
So I've been in all kinds of different groups and I've paid, you know, I, I'm in a group right now that I paid 33,000 a year. I, I was in a group for a while, I paid 60,000 a year. I've been in multiples of these groups. I just may not talk about them on Long Care Millionaire publicly, but I've been in them. And so in those rooms, you meet people that are doing things and then you get to know a person, you meet another person through them. And so that's, that's how it's happened over time. And then, and then, you know, what you're doing and what I did with Long Care Million on a tiny scale compared to what you're doing, uh, you build authority and reputation and people want to meet you. It's one of the greatest things you can ever do in life, if, in, in, you know, in my opinion. And so by becoming somewhat visible, as small as that was, people would then want to like, talk to me like, hey, how'd you build your thing? Or they'd hear I have a bigger business. Like, so maybe they're ahead of me, but they still want to talk about what I'm doing because they might be able to apply it to their business. So, you know, you just meet people in a million different ways, but that's generally how it happens. That's so good. Jonathan, I wanted to pick your brain about your family life. So 25 years of marriage, I met your son. I've heard the snowboarding stories and, oh, yeah. and got to see it. Looks like yeah. you guys have a healthy relationship just from the nonverbal communication. Awesome. Yeah. So there's so many entrepreneur success stories, right? That they end up getting divorced or they end up having some kind of conflict in their family. You have a you know, I'm just on the outside looking in. So maybe yeah. you guys are throwing firing pans with each other <laughs> no, or not. <laughs> How have you uh, created that that healthy family unit amidst all of this uh, roller coaster of entrepreneurship? Um, yeah, and and to be, it's easy to put up appearances and make it look like everything's perfect. And our relationship is good and has been good, but it doesn't mean it's been easy or effortless or is even perfect at the moment. You know, it's like there's always stuff that, you, you know, just you need to talk about or you need to work through. And it generally goes back to communication, just like it does with partnerships in business. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't want to put out their perfection, but I will um, say that, um, you know, we're both happy and it's been a great relationship. And we but we would both also say we need to make it better. And I think that's the reality. And I think you go through your your periods of time. And so um, I'll go back to that word communication. And I said it earlier, my wife is the one that's better at that. I'm a great communicator in business. I can fix problems. But for whatever reason, I'm a little not so great at it in, in the relationship. I don't I can't explain why. But and she'll say that exact thing to me. It's like you can talk to anybody and work anything out. But why can't we do that here? Wow. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Why do you shut down when I'm trying to have a conversation with you? Why do you get defensive? It's like, like, you know, and that and she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so she's been really good about kind of pushing on those things. Um, I think it's communication. It's time. It's you don't it's uh, both of you have it. She doesn't. She was a teacher. But when Riley was born, she stayed home mm -hmm. and stays home to this day. But I think it's important that you both have separate things like your you have friends, friend groups that are similar, but you also have your separate friends. You have the different interests that you're both involved in where you can kind of come back together. I think it's important not to be talking about the business and work all the time. I'm sure I would imagine it's very complicated uh, for many marriages if you're both in the business and every time you go out on date night, every time you're not with the kids, you're just talking about you know, the AR, you know, you getting your receivables paid or whatever the challenge is or the complaining clients. Like, I don't think that's healthy. You need that disconnect where you have something else. So to elaborate just a bit further, finding things like Tiffany, and I really like traveling together. Mm -hmm. We, um, we like hiking. We like, um, a lot of this music, a lot of the similar things. There's other things. We, we're on the same page about how to raise our kids and the kind of life we want to live. Yeah. Finding those things that you have in common and doing those things are important. And then having your separate things, I think, are important. I don't have all the answers. This is a tough one. You know, and I, I think to a large degree, 
we're just very fortunate that it worked out. I would, you know, when Riley turned 21, he's 21 now. When we turned 21, Tiffany and I are both like, I cannot believe we got married when we were 21. Like, why didn't either of our parents say, are you sure this is a good idea? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's crazy. And, uh, but, and so for most, it wouldn't have worked out. We're just very fortunate. So it's, you know, we've done some of the right things and some of it, we just were really fortunate it worked out. Yeah. And then what about with your son? You have two sons? I do. How, how is that relationship? Because it looked like just the way he was talking to you, like he likes you and you guys have a healthy relationship. Yeah. We have an awesome relationship. Um, how, how have you cultivated that, Jonathan? I, you know, I don't know if I have the answer to this stuff. I, um, I would like to think, you know, Riley would be, you know, and he, he may not even be able to answer it. I, um, I really believe that my kids are their own individual people and I need to treat them as their own individual people and not try to apply a set of rules to both of them. They're both traveling different paths. I don't need them to travel my path. I want them to be their people, find their thing in life. And so I've been, um, I wouldn't say I've been controlling. I've also been very, like, sometimes I am a little nervous for them and have to keep my mouth shut. Uh, it could be um, something that they're, you like, I don't know, going out, I'll just use an example. They're going out in the woods to play with BB guns or something. It's like, you know, there's an element where, this is probably a terrible example, but there's this element where it's like, um, they're not going to get killed. It's going to be okay. But boy, I really don't want them to do this, but I need to just let them go explore and try things. And I don't, and I don't want them to live in fear. And I don't want to put fear on them by constantly like, oh, is that going to go okay? Or trying to protect them from it. That's, the, that's what I'm looking for. I made a very significant effort not to protect them. Um, and so I think that I wasn't a controlling parent, but I was a I mean, Tiffany too. We were there. And so we gave them a lot of freedom. And so they're not trying to run away from us or get away from us because they feel like they're going to be judged by us or told how they should do things or controlled or anything. They're their own people. I yeah. think, you know, I'm speculating, but I think that was very helpful. And then we just, you know, I've had a lot of conversations over the years. And I tried to help. I'm trying to help them get to where they want to go in life, whether it's business or something else. And so we've found common ground. Um, you know, snowboarding is something that I, you know, uh, did. I've done since they were little. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just, I try to Riley races cars. I race, you know, I'm into that stuff, too. So trying to find the things with the boys that are common ground that we can do together mm -hmm. uh, has been really valuable. I, I, again, just don't have the answer. I those are some of the things that come to mind. What was your biggest takeaway um, from the sabbatical with two to three years to, you know, reset and contemplate everything? Um, I'm really glad I did it. Very, very pleased. John and I had a conversation that if we decided not to sell an essay or service pilot when we were starting to go through that process, that we were going to try to figure out how to take sabbaticals. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, we had had that idea whether or not we would have lived it. I don't know, but we had had the conversation. So it was sort of in my mind, but they would have been shorter ones. And, um, and so now in retrospect, having done it, I am so thankful for it because I, my wife or some other friends have said, Oh, Jonathan's retired. I hate that word. Yeah. I always correct and say, no, no, I'm just on sabbatical. I'm taking a break Yeah. because a life well lived to me is staying in the game. Yeah. And staying around the people like you and, you know, like they give you energy and are moving the world forward and things like that. And so um, I never wanted to do I never wanted to be gone too long. So it's the one is I'm very happy I did it. So thankful. And two, even though so when we did our essay deal, we um, 
we didn't have an earnout and we didn't have to stay. We could have gone immediately. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is I think it speaks to, we actually built a company with a team. Yeah. And which is what I teach. And we did that. And so they identified that and we weren't tied down on these, you know, to have to stay. We stayed because we wanted to for as long as we did. And, and what I learned, so that buildup was to make this point. I still had one-on-one meetings. I still had group meetings with some of my departments. I still did all these things. And after we did the deal, and I knew that my days would be numbered there, that I would eventually move on. I realized how many things I was still doing that I didn't need to be doing in that business. And that was a big like, oh, wow, I did a lot more, even though I teach it. Mm-hmm. I try to teach people how to get free of their business. I don't, I'm not a big, I don't think it's that imperative that you don't go to your business like I do at City Turf. I don't think that's, that's not really what I'm pushing for. I'm just pushing for more freedom in the business where other people are running it and you're still involved. Yeah. And um, I just discovered that I still was hanging on to lots of stuff. It's really, it's one thing to teach. It's another thing to truly fully live it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't truly fully living. I was doing good, but I wasn't doing as good as I can. Did that make sense? Yeah. That, that was a big 100%. like, wow. Yeah. I appreciate so much you sharing your story. What, what's been the biggest mistake you've made in all of this? What, what did you learn from it? In, in all of what? Your, your, your journey as an entrepreneur, going back to 2010 or even pre then. Like what, what's the biggest mistake you made? Like you, you, you said earlier, if you would have sold for $20 million two years in, that would have been a catastrophic mistake. Yeah, but when you look back at all of it, what's the one thing you're like, ah, I missed up there. I wish I would have done this. Yeah. Um, I've got a few. This is, it's a hard question for me to answer because I, I think one of the skills I've cultivated myself is it's sort of the, oh, well, that sucks. Next. So you, and you just you pivot go quick. You just go and you get that out of your mind because if you're going to ruminate on it and think about it, it just drags you down, slows you down. So I think I've become pretty good at that. And I think it's my example of with young entrepreneurs. It's a skill you cultivate that makes the rest of your life better. Mm-hmm. And I was, as, as a younger person, I was more of a, a little bit more of a worrier. Uh, I needed to really have the plan. I'm not a plan person, but I kind of wanted to know where it was going. I didn't want to take a lot of risks. And so you cultivate these, these skills. So I don't have lots of things I regret because they sort of got me where I'm at. But I think about things like jumping around. I, and a lot of times jumping around from one activity to the next or the next idea is because you don't know what to do. That may be because you're not learning the right things around the right people. But, um, I felt like I, ju- I, you know, I look back and say, I really, and maybe it was exploration I couldn't get away from, but I feel like I jumped around too much. Mm. We definitely did in service autopilot. If John and I could do service autopilot again, we wanted to solve all of our clients' problems. And so we would build lots of functionality, frankly, we should have never built, but we were doing it from the best intention, but it was a wrong business decision. And that's an example. And so if anybody ever used SA and said, why the heck did you build this feature in the software? Well, think about that in your business. You were like working on one marketing campaign, then you had a new marketing campaign that you were working on, never finished the last one. And then a client called and complained about something, you're off dealing with that thing, you never finished the other thing, and there's all this switching cost. That's a big one that I wish I could have controlled that more early in my life. I got pretty good about it in service autopilot, but that took me a while to learn. Um, the other one, it's the one, the biggest things I teach. The entire game of business is people. It's mm-hmm. all people. It's good. Like it, it, there's a person that has a solution to every problem you have. There's a person that can, wants to do everything you don't want to do. They're a little hard to find and they might be expensive at times. You're only... The only game of business is going and finding those people and putting together. You know, and, and a lot of guys and gals listen, watch sports. It's a sports analogy. There's no owner of a sports team 
or a coach of a sports team that's going to ever get on the field and be the quarterback or the running back. That's the dumbest freaking idea in the world. They'd never do it. But in our business, and what they do is they assemble a great team, the right people in the right positions, and they have no mercy about eliminating the wrong person from the, the company when they're not going to move the company forward. That is how business actually should work as well. You can have mercy and be kind about it when the when a person needs to move out of the organization. I don't mean it in a cruel way, but if you think about the sports analogy, that's actually how you're supposed to run a business. Wow. But we don't learn. We, we just never, you can hear it, but it doesn't get inside of you until you experience it. Once you experience it and say, hey, the unlock is just finding the right consultant, advisor, employee, contractor, whatever, they have the solution to my problem. And when I get to a place where all I do is find those people to solve, to to get the vision that I want life, what I want to create, that's how you go fast and that's how you get where you want to go. Again, easy to say, really hard to comprehend, but once you see the light, you can never unsee it. That's the game of business. Took me a long time to learn that. So good. I want to share uh, two things with you as a viewer of the Lawn Care Millionaire. We're talking a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. You shared two things that really helped uh, change my life. I wanted to let oh, you know, and okay. thank you. Yeah. The first one was credit card on file. Okay. You yeah. were preaching that before anybody else. Yeah. And uh, it just made sense, and I did it. And I actually did, uh, I'm in the Atlanta market, so I did prepay. So on the first of every month, January 1st, February 1st, you know, I just calculated how paid. many services a year. Divided by the month. I got paid on the first of every month ahead of time. All because of awesome. you saying that on YouTube. Good for you. Awesome. Credit card on file. Cool. Second thing is, and you might not even remember you saying this, but you talked about how you hired a personal trainer and you paid him for the year. Oh, yeah. Because you said, if I pay him for a year, then I'm going to feel like I'm, I got to go. Got to do it. And I, I might not look as great as you, but if you would have seen what I looked like before I heard that. So I started really? hiring personal trainers and I've been, it's, it's helped transform my health. And, and I learned That's that awesome. from you. Really? Okay. Yes, I don't awesome. even know don't if you remember, remember saying that. No. You did. Yeah. You said, I've, I've hired a personal trainer and I prepaid him for the whole yeah. year just so I go. I believe in that. Yeah. I mean, obviously I said it. I don't say anything I don't believe, but I've, I've done so much talking over the years. I don't remember all these things, but that's awesome. Well, good. So good for you, you for doing that. Yeah. yeah thanks wow. to Naylor, uh, Talia Farrell, John Pajak for getting you on the show and, sure. and, and, and connecting this. Uh, you live in the Dallas area. I do. I'm coming to Vid Summit with Mr. Beast, you know, um, yeah. the YouTuber. I don't know him personally, but yeah. Well, they're doing a big conference in uh, Irving. What month? Uh, it's October 3rd through 5th. Oh, I'll be in uh, Greece. Oh, so, yeah, man. That it's the big, literally Mr. Beast and then the biggest YouTubers. Yes. Super expensive, but you get in a room with those guys and they teach you how to YouTube. Okay, that'd uh, be awesome. It's at the Irving Convention Center. Okay. October 3rd through 5th, the Vid Summit. I would have gone with that to you, and, and if you are gone with you to that, but um, if you come back to Dallas, uh, let's get together and have dinner. Absolutely. Um, I uh, I told Naylor last night, uh, when I get done with my sabbatical, I'm doing YouTube and a podcast. I'm coming yes. back. It's one of the most important things I ever did. With my tiny little Long Care Million channel, it's like, it's amazing how it impacted my life and impacted other lives. So I want to do it again, but on a much bigger scale. And so um, I'd be interested in that. And then, but like, but like I said, I'm sincere. You can come to Dallas. Let's get together. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Yeah. How can people connect with you? Um, huh. <laughs> After March 3rd, it will be more yeah, uh, yeah, visible. Yeah, will be out there, and I'll have something to say, hey, you can go follow me here. Okay, the best thing to do would be to look me up on, on uh, Facebook. I don't, I've never posted on Facebook, but I've collected a lot of uh, friends or some number of them. I'm not really good about proving. So if you look me up on uh, my last name, Potoshnik, um, if it, hopefully you can, whenever I start a YouTube channel, I wanted to start under my own name and I've decided okay. that'd probably be a giant mess. Nobody's ever going to be able to spell Patoshnik, much less remember it. But if you could remember that, if you find me yeah. on Facebook, 
and just friend me whenever I start doing stuff again, I'll announce it through Facebook. Yeah, it's that's like maybe the best Gary way. Gary Vaynerchuk just did Gary V. Yeah. The, the V, yeah. that's easy to remember. P- Potoshnik. Potoshnik. Potoshnik, yeah. It's tough. Yeah, I don't know how for a branding yeah. perspective. No, I've given this a lot of thought. I'm not going that direction. I wanted to, though. And then uh, a lot of my good friends call me JP. JP so I, so uh, yeah. universal. It's like I yeah. didn't, I didn't. It'd have to be like JP and something else to make it work. So, but you're big into personal brand for guys yeah. who own a lawn care landscaping company to, to utilize all of this. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Thanks so much for your time, you bet, Jonathan. Man. Awesome seeing you. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Cool. Well, like I said at the top of the broadcast, I have so much respect for Jonathan Potoshnik and. It's just awesome. Uh, in Proverbs, it says iron sharpens iron. And when you get to hang around somebody of um, that much excellence in business and, and that much focus and determination on success, as he shared his humble beginnings, you know, there were things that didn't quite go well. And in the autobiographies, biographies, audiobooks I read about folks who are successful, um, so oftentimes that's the case. There's a, a business or two or more that that don't go so well in those early days, yet you learn from those mistakes and the greats are able to overcome that and oftentimes go on, um, you know, to have unbelievable success like uh, Jonathan did. So I'm just kind of in awe that I got to, you know, conversate with him. I hope you enjoyed the conversation um, as much as I did. And that's why I love going to these events and and getting to network and and meet people um, that help me grow into becoming a better businessman. And so uh, truly an honor to, to meet Jonathan and, and start that friendship. I met him years ago at Equip and, and he did remember that. I didn't think he would, but um, Payjack basically introduced me to him and and uh, Naylor got to chat with him there for a little while. And uh, it just wasn't the right time to, to, to podcast back then. Um, that was several years ago, but it kind of came full circle. And I'm, I'm thankful to Naylor Taliaferro for, for setting that one up. Uh, just like he did with the Greg Chisholm one. So Naylor is, uh, I don't have enough kind words to say about Naylor for opening doors for me. Well, there's a door open for you if you're planning to be an attendee at this year's Equip Expo. Uh, Their pre-registration rate right now is $50. That lasts to October 15th, and then the price will go up to $100. And my promo code ends on October 15th, so you can't... uh, you can't, I don't think you can save there that last week of, of equip. Um, so it, let me put it like this. If you want to go to equip for only $25, register today, use coupon code, Paul, that's going to deduct your $50 rate to 25 bucks. And, uh, you'll, you, you know, basically be saving $75 off the full $100 registration rate. So, uh, that link to register for equip is in today's show notes and you can click on that again. Tickets are 50 bucks, but you don't have to pay 50. You can pay 25. Just use the coupon code Paul. You'll get 50% off and come grow with us and enjoy some um, networking and and, the latest and greatest equipment and all of that stuff at this year's Equip Exposition, October 17th through 20th in Louisville, Kentucky. Hope to see you there. You need to increase your prices to earn more, but you better do it correctly or your customers will become unhappy. You want to discover the proven method to easily increase your prices? I've assembled the Price Increase Letter Template. It's a plug-and-play document that will allow you to inform your customers in the correct way so that they understand why and will gladly accept your price increase. You can pick up the Price Increase Letter Template today at the Resource Center at thegreenindustrypodcast.com.
Hey, it's Marty, producer of the Green Industry Podcast. This episode is over, but check the episode notes for links to products and services that you heard about during the episode. And thanks for listening.